Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to Politics Done Right on KPFT 90.1 FM Houston, your community radio station. We have a great program for you today. Today we have Sarah Terrell, Stop Houston ISD Takeover Now. Like it or not, Benjamin Dixon and Rebecca Azor interviews George Struley. Anyhow, it is becoming more customary than not for each session of the Texas legislature to pass more draconian laws. 2021 is no exception. Houston activist Sarah Terrell explains some bills and give the state of Texas, read Greg Abbott, the ability to run our local Houston ISD school. Our schools are about 20% of the local budget and $2 billion. Should we cede that power to the state by removing local control and oversight? Ms. Terrell explains why we must act and we must act fast. Secondly, I appeared on Like It or Not with Benjamin Dixon, of MSNBC and Rebecca Azor to discuss Senator Joe Manchin's holding the Democratic Party hostage to his conservative shenanigans. I really enjoyed the interview with both Benjamin Dixon and Rebecca Azor. It was wonderful being on the show. Folks, please remember it's Fun Drive. I'm giving you a full show, so in these very little snippets, I ask you to please call 713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738, and give whatever you can to support KPFT in the name of Politics and Right. But you know what? We have some special offers for you. I have three books, As I See It. Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom for a $120 pledge. Remember, you never have to give this all at once. The second book, It's Worth How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors. Again, that is a contribution of $120. And the third book, How to Make America Utopia, Take Away the Economy from Those Who Rigged It. That's a pledge as well for $120. Get two of the books, that's $200. Get three of the books, $250. So you save in your pledge by getting all three books. Folks, please support us. These books, you know, what you're really doing is you're really supporting a great station, ensuring that we can continue to give all these great programmings that we provide you, the, the, the news that we give you, the enlightenment that we give you, the good opinion that we give you. So please, again, call 713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738. Please go ahead and do that now. I still have a few more things to say, so you can go ahead and call it before we actually start the program. And I want to thank, big thank you to Walter Foody of Houston, Texas, for your kind contribution. We could not do this without you. Folks, before we get started, please remember, this is your community radio station, KPFT In Your Minds. Take Talk about it. Tell your friends to tune in to 90.1 FM Houston or listen at kpft.org. Likewise, keep our one. 100- 
100,000 watt station that covers the entire Southeast Texas on air by donating what you can afford at our website, kpft.org, or call 713-526-5738. Again, I mentioned the books that we have for you. Please go ahead and get them. But anyhow, let's go ahead and let's get busy. Today, we are honored to have Sarah Terrell is a Houston resident and concerned citizen forced into community activism. She is concerned about a spe- uh, two specific bills in the Texas legislature that will have a material effect on our Houston independent district school system. Sarah, welcome to Politics Done Right. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Egberto. Well, absolutely. You know, um, it, it is concerning to me the amount of stuff that's happening in the Texas legislature right now, it, it almost keeps your head spinning. And sometimes I wonder if that is done on purpose so that we can't concentrate on one thing. And in that inability to concentrate on one thing, they get to put a whole lot of crap through. But luckily, we have people like you in the community. Yeah. And so what I'd like to do is first ask you to tell us the story about two bills, HB 3270, which is a House bill and SB 1365, which is a Senate bill. And this is all, folks, at the Texas legislature. For those of you who are listening in other states, be aware what you see Sarah doing here. We need heroes like that in your state as well. Please, Sarah, tell us about those bills. Well, the Houston Independent School District has been under the gun to be taken over by the Texas Education Agency, which I'll refer to as TEA in this conversation, um, for a couple of years now. They kind of got in the line of fire by having uh, one single uh, consistently failing school, failing under the rubric, which is largely dependent on uh, Uh, these high stakes testing, it's called STAR in Texas, but everybody has it in their state as well. So failing under that rubric, we do have one school that has consistently uh, had a failure rating for a number of years. And so uh, there was a bill passed in 2015 that introduced the idea that if you have such a school, even a single school out of a huge district, for instance, HISD has 280 schools, we have one in this category, Um, then you are a target for being taken over by the TEA and uh, your board of trustees, your elected board would be replaced by an appointed board of managers. So because TEA is run by a government appointee, he's the TEA commissioner is the title here in Texas. That's basically your school board would be appointed by Greg Abbott, by the governor. So that's so we've been in their we've been in their target sites for some time. Uh, Sarah, and- I want to stop you a second because I want to make sure that I understand what you just said correctly, and I think everybody needs to understand this. You are saying the Houston Independent School District has one consistently failing school, and because the way the law was written, that one consistently failing school will authorize the Texas state government to take over a local board and control the entire district that is comprised of 238 schools. So less than a 0.5% failure is equivalent to we come and take over the entire darn system. Is that what you're saying? Mm, 280 schools. So it's 280 schools. 
It's a smaller percentage than you just mentioned. But I, it's, it's way smaller. I thought you, okay, great. Now tell me, um, it, it, did I understand that correctly? That was restated very well. Thank you. Okay, Succinctly. please continue. Thank you for that. I, I, I just learned that I didn't know that. Yes. Yes. And that is not something that we've had. That's not a threat we've had to face all our lives. Basically, you know, Texas has been in the business of public schooling for 150 years. We've never needed this law before. It was introduced in 2015 and it was passed with a lot of people not understanding uh, how draconian it is and how how you could get into this bind with a single school in a very large district. But of course, the larger your district is, the more, the higher the chance that you will have such a school. Exactly. Because the more you, the more you're a big city, the more you're serving poverty, uh, you know, poverty pockets and, and places where children have a, a problem passing the star test and so on. So it's inevitable that Houston would have been basically the first one up. So, um, the next thing was that, uh, so they tried to take us over. They announced they were going to do a board of managers and Houston ISD trustees have a certain amount of money at their disposal. And they said, we're going to sue you. And so this lawsuit has been going through the courts for well over a year and has had the effect of delaying the takeover. So um, this has been extremely frustrating to those who designed the, uh, the original bill in order to basically sort of entrap big city school districts like Houston. Uh, and they're very, uh, they're very disgusted. And as so often happens when a law doesn't work in practice, they go back and they mod the next time they meet, they, they modify the law. So those, that's where, that's where these two bills that I wrote about in the Texas signal, that's where they come in. So they are house bill 3270 which is now off the table. It died Thursday night based on a, a technical problem with the bill, but the remaining one is the Senate version, which is Senate Bill 1365. Now and let's let's talk about the, the first bill first, the House bill. Do you happen to know what the specific technicality was that caused it to die, that caused it to die? I do. It was it was one I've never heard of, but I really don't know that much about the ledge. It's been it's been very uh, very educational this year for me to try and follow this issue uh, in the ledge. But the there's a thing called a legislative summary of the bill, or it's called a, an analysis. And apparently, it was materially wrong. It left out some important provisions uh, in the bill, so that if you were uh, you know, a legislator and you're only reading the summary and trying to decide to vote based on that, the bill itself is 20 pages of legalese, then you might make a wrong decision because there was a chunk missing from the analysis. And that was called to the attention of, of um, so we need to introduce the characters here. Let me introduce the characters really quickly. Representative Harold Dutton, uh, who is a Democrat and uh, his district covers mostly Fifth Ward here in Houston. <clears throat> he is the one who uh, is pushing this takeover. So he is the author of House Bill 3270. So that was his bill. Um, he, he is also the chairman of the Public Education Committee. So he was responsible for <clears throat> making sure that any analysis that's you know posted online with that bill is accurate and complete, and it wasn't. So it was kind of a double embarrassment for him. First of all, it was his bill. Second of all, it's his committee. Um, 
So his bill got shot down on a, on a technicality that was, in a sense, you know, that landed in his lap as well. And I think he was quite upset by that. So the, the effect was that the very next day, he grabbed the backup plan, which is House Bill 13, I mean, Senate Bill 1365, which is very similar. And he uh, called a quick and special uh, meeting of his committee. And um, he tried to vote that one out of committee and it failed seven to six. So he didn't like that one bit. <laughs> so he spent the next two or three hours twisting arms and called another committee meeting on the house floor, huddled around a desk because by that point in the afternoon, the full house was in session. So they couldn't afford to have a separate committee meeting in a separate building because they all needed to be there for the full house. So there is a videotape of this huddle meeting and sure enough, he got a couple of people to switch their votes and to vote, vote the bill favorably out of the committee. So the thing is still alive. And now no, you said there's another protagonist, which is a Republican. So we had the Democrat from uh, the area where that school is deficient. Is that correct? His correct. OK, so that that school that is causing this takeover is in his district. It is. And in fact, it's his alma mater. It's it's uh, it's Phyllis Wheatley High School. And it and it is a hard one to turn around. And it's made tremendous amount of improvements. So even though it has stayed in a quote F rating or unacceptable rating, it has come much, much closer over the over the years to passing. And I think one of the concerns of those who really want the takeover is that if the lawsuit draws this thing out long enough, eventually Wheatley will pit tip over into passing and then that'll I want to get there in a second. That'll be an issue. I'm not really sure about that or the legal part, or but it seems I under, I understand. like an obvious, an obvious oncoming problem. I get that. I, I want to go somewhere. First, let's for, figure out who is the, the, the Republican senator now that, um, that's trying to push the same type of bill along. So that would be the author of, uh, House, of Senate Bill 1365, and that is Paul Betancourt. And um, you might He's a Houston me, area politician as well. Yes. And why don't you ask me if he has any any part of HISD in his district? Does he have any part of HISD in his district? <laughs> he does have like a couple of schools. So uh-huh. uh, out of so 200, just two. Yeah, something like that. So uh, most of his district is suburban. I think it's more Cypress area. Um, so it, yet he takes an extreme controlling interest in, uh, HISD's affairs and would okay. like to see it taken over by an appointed, Repu- a, a board appointed by a Republican governor. Now, before we go further, I mean, because this is, this, this is not only distasteful, this rings of some sort of legal fraud, so here's what I want to ask you. And notice I said legal fraud. I'm accusing nobody of doing anything illegal. But what I'm saying to my bare eyes, if I were to hear the story the way you just said it, I would, I would start shouting out legal fraud. And here's what I mean. You're saying now that this person's district, that's his school. Tell me what would happen to a school like Wheatley. Is it Wheatley, right? That's it the failing school. Mm-hmm. What would happen is it likely that lined up right now, there are charter schools who say we can do so much better 
than what these public schools are doing. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because Harold Dutton is uh, a huge proponent of, of charter schools. Um, and I do believe he gets, I haven't looked at his finance reports, but I believe he gets quite a bit of funding through people that are in the charter school world. Um, and yes, so under the, uh, the original bill that talks about a takeover, it, 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 it gives you an alternative to being taken over. And uh, the, uh, the education code does. It was a, a, an addition of another bill gave you another, another uh, way you could handle it. So if you have the failing school to avoid takeover, you can close the school and send those kids elsewhere, including a charter school in the area might pick them up or some of them. So that's certainly a benefit to charter schools. Or you can invite a charter school in to take over the, the, school. the school. Yes, that's also, that's an allowed uh, solution to the problem. So it's like a charter operator comes in, takes over that public school and they kind of get a, I don't know if they get a fully clean slate, but I think they get to start more or less over again. And they get, you know, obviously uh, more years to reach uh, an acceptable status. But for the public, the public school system itself, your choice is basically close it, give it up or let yourself be taken over. And what HISD said was, none of the above, see you in court. And that was very, very, uh, uh, you know, assertive. And I, I think in some ways unexpected by the takeover people who kind of, I don't know if they thought they had it in the bag, but, but uh, it has certainly caused them a lot of heartburn. And I think it was the right move. And I, I, think, I think you came up with a, a, an interesting point when you said that there's a distinct possibility, given that Wheatley was on the ascent, meaning every year they got a little bit better. Uh, they just might have gotten where they needed to get on their own without having, mm -hmm. which would make any type of takeover moot. But from what you're also telling me is that the law that makes one school out of 238 school caused the entire district to be taken over wasn't passed until 2015, which ranks of some sort of legal fraud. In other words, let's do something that allows a private sector system, meaning uh, read a, a charter school to come in. Folks, give us a call, 713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738. Take one of our book offers. As I see it, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors, or how to make America utopia. Take away the economy from those who rigged it. All of these are $120 each, $200 if you get two books, $250 if you get three books. Let's continue. I want to pontificate on one thing before we continue. It is a mathematical impossibility, folks, for charter schools to be less expensive than public schools. Henceforth, instead of having a charter school come in, get specialized teachers to go into that, that school and make it better and pay them to make it better. The only way a charter school can be cheaper is to have ineffective, lower-paid uh, teachers over, uh, because, again, shareholders have to be paid out of these charter schools. And even if they are nonprofits, their executives make more than any principal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the charter school uh, mantra is a fraud. It's important that you understand that. 
it is important that you understand that charter schools and I'm, I'm saying, I'm making an absolute statement. Charter schools are fraud. They cannot mathematically be less expensive than a public school that has no uh, profit motive. That's an absolute statement that cannot be refuted. Sorry to say that, but I mean, this particular item, um, Sarah, really gets to me. And that's why we need warriors like yourself out there, because a lot of us don't know what's going on. We don't. And when mm -hmm. we have somebody who can concentrate on an issue like you have, it becomes that much more important. So going forward, what, uh, we, we know where these bills are now. Uh, this, what can you tell Houstonians specifically, but people around the country that run the risk of finding uh, themselves in this situation, their schools in this situation? Well, first, I want to loop back a little bit to some things that you just said, because I do want to I want to kind of disentangle the charter school issue from this takeover issue. Sure. Because they are not directly related. They are related in the sense that once you have, you know, the Republican appointees as your as your school board, you are your your whole public school system is much more vulnerable because Republicans are so. Uh, behind the charter school movement. So it's an indirect effect there. It's also an indirect, you know, carrot stick uh, deal with the with the failing school itself that if, hey, if you just close it and the children are, are uh, basically available to the charter movement to be picked up or you go ahead and charterize it yourself, those, those, that's the connection with charters. I, I but think, what we're I, talk, but I, what I wanna talk about uh, here today is I want to talk about democracy for a moment before, and obviously I'm going to ask Houstonians to to call and, and call their representatives and, and ask them to oppose these bills. But uh, let me tell the audience something real first. And what Sarah said is very important. I punt. That's why I asked about doing my pontification. But I don't want. I don't want to get. Uh, I don't want to get the message mixed up with what she is actually working on. I just wanted, because she brought up the possibility of charter schools, I wanted to bring that up, but that isn't her issue specifically. Please go yeah. ahead. Um, please go ahead. No, and and with, with these bills, you know, like I say, it, it might be, it might uh, be uh, an objective for the long game mm -hmm. for these bills. In fact, I suspect that it is, but in the short game, what we need to talk to fellow progressives and Democrats about is this is a takeover of local government. So um, the, the Houston ISD has an annual budget of $2 billion. The city is 5 billion. The county is 3 billion. So it takes 10 billion to run this place, right? 2 billion of it is HISD. So that is 20% of our government. So I want Houstonians to hear, do we, let the let Greg Abbott come in and grab 20% of our government. Greg Abbott is on a mission to overrule self-government at the local level if you live in a big city that's turned blue. He is, he is on a mission to take away the right to self-government. And people are not attuned to schools, especially if they don't have kids in them. Um, and they don't see that, that, you know, they don't see that as a part of their daily life. They don't even think of it as government, but it is. Our HISD, $2 billion a year, and another $2 billion every so often when they sell bonds, 
And in the next few months, they'll be getting many, many hundreds of millions of dollars. I believe, I don't know the number, but it's gonna be in the hundreds of millions of new money for COVID relief. That is a heck of a responsibility. And right now that's in the hands of nine elected people. They are 100% women. Uh, every single one, eight out of nine are black or brown or Asian. They look like the diversity of our city. So I'm not confident that that will be reflected in a board of people appointed by Greg Abbott. So these are, these are things I want people to understand is this is, this is a power grab and you will lose your representation. You will lose the ability to impact schools and the spending of money and the closing of schools. There are many issues that could come into play here. You know, board of managers, HISD has been very reluctant to close schools, even as, even as those population in those schools goes down. Um, if you close it, what do you do with the real estate? Well, if it's in a gentrifying area, it could be very tempting to sell that off to a developer and have maybe even the same developer say, well, I'll sell you this other tract for a huge price <laughs> and it's not right. as valuable. But, you know, there is a lot of there's a lot of stuff that could go on. HISD is a massive holder of real estate in this city. And a lot of the real estate that they own is very good real estate. So that concerns me. $2 billion a year. The board of managers will be would be potentially appointing the, super, the superintendent. As you know, we had a temporary or uh, interim superintendent for a year and a half. She's announced she's leaving in June. So if the board of managers can get here fast enough, they can choose their own superintendent. Even if they don't, they can kick out whoever we've got and replace that person. Maybe, I'm not sure about about contracts, but I mean, you can even, you can always buy out. We can a buy a contract out, yeah. That's right, they could buy the contract. So once you, once you have the superintendent and all the votes on the board, you are in control of a ton of money. So these are all issues that, you know, are very, very concerning to me. Um, and, um, we need to think about that as Houstonians. I think it is, first of all, it's great that you centralize on that issue of democracy and local government. I think mm -hmm. that is so important for people to understand uh, why it is that they need to be concerned on this particular issue. Um, so tell me, uh, when is this bill going to be voted on and how can Houstonians and others, er everybody impacted by the Houston Independent School District, do something about it? And how, most importantly, how can people all around this country catch this before it gets as far as it has here in Houston? Well, um, the bill, first I want to talk just a little bit just a tad bit about Bill 1365 and what it does, um, because it's scary in its own right. So obviously it's meant to sew up the holes that were exposed, uh, the, the inefficiencies lawsuit. by the lawsuit and, and the, the technical flaws in the law. But what in order to sew those holes, those, those holes tight shut, what this law does is it creates a, a new form of investigation of the TEA by a, uh, on a local school district. So TEA by TEA of a, of a local district, right? And they've changed these to be called special investigations and they can, they can be uh, 
initiated for any number of reasons, but one of those reasons is at the discretion of the TEA commissioner. And then whereas we did have investigations already, but the, uh, the resulting penalty was basically the laws said it had to be appropriate to the to what was going on in the investigation. So many, many times the penalty was your accreditation status would change. This law says that the penalty can be takeover. It doesn't say that in those words, but it basically says it can be any any discipline that the TEA commissioner decides upon. So in other words, it says make sure you can initiate a special investigation at your discretion and then you can penalize at your discretion so you can um, shut down a school that way. Um, and then they introduce another form, another avenue for takeover. They can, um, at, again, at the TEA commissioner's discretion, appoint a conservator for any single school in the district that they have a concern about. Maybe it's got a D rating, maybe it doesn't have an F rating. It has a D rating, something like that. So they put a conservator, which is sort of like a monitor and a helper. I'm not really sure what a conservator does, but it's a TEA appointed person that is assigned to a school. After the conservator has been present for two consecutive years, then the law says, that's, that's a good reason. Now you can be taken over. So these are broad, the, these avenues sort of existed in the law, but now they're broadening these avenues and they're paving them very smooth so that the commissioner can basically target a school district. And if he wants a takeover to happen, he can make it happen. And by the way, there are no rules that explain that uh, that designate how long would be the term of a board of managers. They have some very specific rules that say, that when they decide to leave, they'll leave gradually, they'll gradually be replaced by a few elected officials every so years. So even every few years, so even leaving is a long drawn out process where they'll retain the majority of the board for much of that process, but their initial term is not designated. So um, people think they're gonna stay five years. That's, that's not based on anything except some other takeovers that were takeovers of districts that basically had financially bottomed out. So that is not the case with Houston at all. And in my opinion, the, 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 the extreme aggression and intensity of interest that's placed by these powers on these bills, this, the, you know, the, just the determination to get this takeover done and finished and sewn up tells me, and the $2 billion a year that's at stake tells me that this is not necessarily gonna be a five-year deal. And there's nothing in law that says that they can't stay as long as they want. So if we don't protect local control and local self-representative government right now, we may lose it for a decade or more, much more potentially much more. It's a very serious situation for democracy. Now it's designed for HISD, but it's applicable to all school districts and even other forms of education agencies like the Harris County uh, Board of Education. We have another whole entity here. It's, it's not a real active entity, but that one would be subject to takeover as well. So across the state, but you know, the issue is who's going to come up in their gun sights? You know, it, it's not going to be, it's not going to be a red 
medium-sized city in East Texas. It's going to be Houston or Dallas or Austin or San Antonio, a blue city with a ton of schools and a ton of opportunities to create these pretexts. So that's how the bill works. So um, 1365, you asked me, when is it going to come up? So um, Representative Dutton did ram it out of his committee on Friday through the huddle meeting on the floor of the House. Um, and it is now with the calendars committee. So the calendars committee will give it a place on the schedule to be heard on the floor of the house. And I suspect because he is so, um, he is so fired up about this, about getting this done, that it will be within the next week. So what I would love to see is that everyone within earshot of you called their House of Representatives because the 1365, let me go back and explain why that was there for, for Dutton to just grab it and, and move it forward. It already passed the Senate. Once it passes the Senate, it comes to the House uh, to be considered by the House. So it was sitting there ready to go if his bill failed, which is exactly what happened. So it will not, it's no use calling your Senator, your state Senator call your state representative. And, and if you live in Houston, find out who all the state representatives are in the, what we call the Houston delegation. So Houston and around there. So not just, so call your own first because it, it, your call gets logged into some kind of a, a recording. Right, system code, and, yeah. and that the one to your own representative counts the most, but there's nothing to stop you from calling or emailing. Calling is better, but emailing is good too. Uh, all of the Houston area ones and just say, you know, you're part of the Houston delegation. I expect you to step, step up and protect our representative local government and keep us from being taken over. So that's what I'm asking for people to do. And of course, it doesn't hurt to branch out and call other representatives. I mean, if you could see my phone, my recent call log, it's pages and pages of 512-463 because I called something like 100 representatives on thursday i just kept calling <laughs> excellent well look i get a little obsessive but you know Sarah, it, that is each, not obsessive. Call is, each call is a minute or two you know you have a quick blurb and you just ask them to vote against uh the bill that you're talking about on thursday i was calling about 3270 but when i repeat that process i'll be calling about 1365 whether it's been scheduled for the floor vote or not i will do it starting monday Sarah, uh, this is important information. Everybody in uh, Houston and the surrounding areas and the rest of the country needs to hear. I mean, first of all, I want to thank you for your, I, I, I said you are a Houston resident, a concerned citizen forced into community activism and you do it well. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics and Right. Folks, please remember it's Fun Drive. I'm giving you a full show, so in these very little snippets, I ask you to please call 713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738, and give whatever you can to support KPFT in the name of Politics and Right. But you know what? We have some special offers for you. I have three books, As I See It. Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom for a $120 pledge. Remember, you never have to give this all at once. The second book, It's Worth How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors. Again, that is a contribution of $120. And the third book, 
how to make America utopia, take away the economy from those who rigged it. That's a pledge as well for $120. Get two of the books, that's $200. Get three of the books, $250. So you save in your pledge by getting all three books. Folks, please support us. These books, you know, what you're really doing is you're really supporting a great station, ensuring that we can continue to give all these great programmings that we provide you, the, the, the news that we give you, the enlightenment that we give you, the good opinion that we give you. So please, again, call 713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738. Please go ahead and do that now. Welcome back to Like It or Not, where we're free to tell the truth and not care who doesn't like it. Joining me now is Egberto Willis. He is the host of the political podcast, Politics Done Right, a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. Egberto, thanks so much for joining us. How are you this morning, sir? Man, it's my pleasure to be on your show, Ben. And it's it's great being with you, Rebecca. I mean, I, I watch you guys. <laughs> and, you know, earlier this morning, I got up earlier than normal to listen to what your intro was going to be. And, man, you guys are on point. You guys are on oh, point. Thank you. Thank we you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I was on your program a couple of weeks ago and I enjoyed myself so much. I'm like, I absolutely had to get you to come on and talk. And I think this is a perfect time. Um, I want to start with Joe Manchin uh, because you you have a really robust analysis of all this stuff. Uh, Joe Manchin was one of the Democrats, obviously, uh, who voted against the minimum wage increase. Um, and he took to the Sunday shows, uh, CNN, State of the Union with Jake Tapper, and he explained why he fought for less federal aid instead of more. Let's take a look at it real quick. Your changes that you pushed for enhanced federal unemployment benefits now expire about a month earlier. And there's a new income cap for writing them off on your taxes. I have to say, you represent one of the lowest income states in the nation. Why were you fighting for less help for citizens during this cruel economic time? Well, Jake, first, let me just say it's always good to be with you, OK? And next of all. Uh, all I did was try to make sure that we were targeting where the help was needed. Right now, we're getting $300 to people who are unemployed by no fault of their own. I want that to continue seamlessly. I think that basically, if you look at all the things that we've done in targeting, how we help the families, how we help their children uh, with child tax credits, there was so much more that we were doing. We're giving more help to individuals than ever before. 300 was seamless. It continues on through the end of August if needed. And that's what we tried to do. So one of the things he didn't mention there that he actually said uh, online, as well as in a previous interview, is that he didn't think um, that it should be $400 a week for unemployment because that would de-incentivize workers from going out to find jobs. Egberto, what's, what's your take on Joe Manchin and, and all of this gaslighting? <laughs> well, there you go. Gaslighting he's doing. Joe Manchin doesn't, uh, is not even consistent with the things that he's saying. Uh, he realized how he sounded on some programs, and then he said that the reason he went ahead with the $300 was uh, sort of a technical thing, right? In other words, uh, since the people are getting $300 now, if they go up to $400, it'll create a few weeks where they don't get their pay, which makes no sense. He said that to Mar Martha Radak uh, on the ABC interview. Yeah. Now, what was distressing is that I didn't hear the appropriate questions because he made a plausible argument. That argument that he said was, uh, you know, but I want to start at $11 because if you see $11, what you'll see is that that actually takes a person 
out of being in poverty. The problem with that is, Mm -hmm. let's go under the assumption that minimum wage had gone up with inflation. Uh, What you would have seen then is that the minimum wage should be over $20 right now. So um, he wants to start indexing from $11, which is nothing more than wage theft over the last generation. I wrote a piece on this same issue where I said, we, uh, those of us with a progressive bent, need to change the argument. The argument shouldn't be, oh, people need to, people deserve this. People, the argument should be, why had we allowed wage theft over the last 20 plus years, over the last 30 years? Because what happens is when you go ahead and not increase the minimum wage, that owner of the baker store, flour goes up every year, sugar goes Mm. up every year, uh, butter goes up every year, the rent goes up every year, and that baker pays it every year. The only, and he raises his prices a bit every year. The only thing that stays stagnant is that workers pay, that worker who has no representation. So what that is equivalent to, if you take a look at it, is wage theft, because Mm. he or she is the only one who doesn't have the power to say, wait a minute, it went up for everybody else. What about me? Mm. Mm. Well, yes. And we know Manchin is known for... uh, He's part of the crew that wants to bring everybody down and make sure that their pockets are fat and keep yeah. us down and suffering. Um, so next up, Manchin was on Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace, and there he explained his opposition to removing the filibuster. Let's listen to that. I'd make it harder to get rid of the filibuster. I'm supporting the filibuster. I'm going to continue to support the filibuster. I think it defines who we are as a Senate. I'll make it harder <laughs> to get rid of it, but it should be painful if you want to use it. You just you should make make sure the place works to where, okay. I want to work with you. How can we do this? How do we move forward? My Republican friends are my friends. They're not my enemies. And my Democrats is my colleagues. They're not my enemy. either. That's my caucus. Together, we've got to make this place work. And it should be hard to invoke pain. It should be painful for us. Don't make it painful for the other side. Don't make it painful for the Egberto. What? What? I'm sorry. Good God. Yeah. Let, <laughs> let, 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 let me say, um, before, before I go into that specifically, it is ironic that what we have is this person, he, he refers to the Republicans all of the times as my friends, and he refers exactly. to Democrats as the Democrat oh. group, or he also mm. says... The, he, he, he uses the term uh, my colleagues. He doesn't have that warm feeling with the Democratic <laughs> side. But it's deeper than that, right? Yeah. Uh, right? Chuck Todd knocks on this, and Chuck Todd isn't the bastion of liberalism or anything like that. Chuck Todd says, but wait a minute. The filibuster is not in the Constitution. It doesn't have anything to do with what the founding fathers want. Not that I care what the founding fathers wanted, right? After all, that's <laughs> three-fifths of a person. But, um, <laughs> but he, he said... Uh, the founded fathers didn't even have that in which mansion was like the founded fathers wanted this to be a deliberative body. Well, it's not a deliberative body. It's a body that can't get anything done. That's not deliberative. Mm. But as far as the filibuster is concerned, um, he's really protecting himself. Uh, he represents neoliberalism like no other. And mm. uh, with his daughter uh, picking up the slack. So that is to be expected. Mm. I you you're hitting on on all these points, right? So 
it is not a deliberative body. It's a, it's a malfunctioning body. It's not getting anything <laughs> yes. done. And so help me help the people understand then why, why the establishment portion of the democratic party continues to support people like Joe Manchin, when at times when we need a critical vote, he's always there to side with Republicans. The establishment, uh, you know, uh, I heard you guys talking about the monarchy earlier, right? Uh, And I love the conversation because I love um, uh, some of how Rebecca put it. But but here's the but here's the kicker. Um, We have a certain gravity in this country. And the people that are feared the most are the people who empower people. So the establishment has a decision to make. Do we start off a fission reaction? In other words, a chain reaction where people really start to feel empowered. Uh, ben, I know you know about the Powell Manifesto, where uh, progressive, when progressive values were really making it big in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. uh, Lewis said, oh my God, these guys are going to realize that the current economic system, really they're getting screwed. So we have to make sure and infiltrate everything so that... Uh, you know, the power base will be lost to the masses if we don't do this. So they infiltrated the colleges, the universities, the school, the media, and many others. That's why I love programs right. like yours, because you cut the crap. Uh, you know, you really cut the crap. The establishment is scared. The establishment of the Democratic Party wants to do more than the establishment of the Republican Party. But they don't want to do too much, because mm. too much means people would be too empowered. Now, as far as Ben mentioned, yeah. we are stuck. I talk, I think for now we are stuck because uh, he may think that he has power, but right now we just need to use him for whatever we can get. And the, then the progressive base really has to empower itself to really put the people that really need to be there in there. And I think we can. I think mm. we can, but I think we have to play it very smart. Mm. So, so when you say like play it very smart and go, the progressive people have to make sure we empower, are you saying, uh, wh- what's the call to action that you're saying we should do? Should we continue pushing to mobilize voting, uh, uh, educating our, our certain communities about who these local people are, who the people are over their state, who the people are in office, so they know? What would you say that we can move this progressive yeah. movement forward? We can continue it to get those people like Manchin out of those spaces. First of all, I'm going to tell you this. I love what I'm seeing right now. I love what you guys are doing. You all represent the generation that's going to make the change. In other words, what y'all, when, when I see uh, the younger, my younger court out there doing this on their own, when I see my younger court mm-hmm. out there in the streets, when I march with BLM, when I march with uh, uh, ladies who lunch, when I march with all these guys, and, and I'm not only talking marching for the sake of marching, because Damn it, we've done a hell of a lot of marching and no action. That's okay? It. What I've seen is people now who are effecting change, people who are really making a difference in what they're doing. So I think that is what's important. So when, when you ask me what's the call for action, the call for action is let's get busy and continue doing what we're doing. Uh, yes, yeah. go TV, educate. And I think the biggest part is educating people to what is actually happening and how things work. You guys are doing a good job. I see a lot of other organizations, a lot of other small things doing the same thing. So I think we are correctly on track. 
I think we have to keep it up. I think the one piece that we're missing right now is uh, integration of all these disparate pieces that are doing hard work. Yeah, yes. no, that's 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 huge. That and I think that has to be the next the next stage in this evolution, right? Like um, the disparate pieces in media, which is why, like, when we connected, I'm like, I want us to continuously connect because uh, without us unifying at some level, it doesn't mean we all have to 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 you know start a company together. But <laughs> if if we don't have like some camaraderie amongst all of these different platforms, these different media outlets, uh, these different organizations that are doing organizing on the ground, you know, we're fighting up against some pretty powerful forces, right? Uh, the infiltration that you spoke of, right? It, it, it's real. And Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema are representative of that, uh, along with so many other Democrats who are in these spaces occupying seats for the purposes of preventing progress. We're fighting up against billionaires who can drop $10 million on one person's podcast, on, on Ben Shapiro's podcast. Mm-hmm. So without that unification, I, I just, Egberto, I don't think we're going to make it. What do you, can you speak on that a little bit more? Yeah, well, you know, I, uh, several, several years ago, I, when I started doing this, I said what I want to do, uh, one of the things I want to do is work in collaboration all over. And what I mean is not only online, I mean in print, I mean in every fashion together, people of like minds. Because when you take polls as far as what people want, what people want are the things that many of us represent. And the problem is that uh, we have forgotten things like one person, one vote, even though with the Electoral College that presents an issue. But in, a, in the aggregate, one person, one vote. And um, what we have to do is detach money from people's vote. There's nothing that says inherently that if I throw a lot of money at something that it, and inherently, they're going to vote a certain way or whatever. An educated person will will take your money and vote their conscience. And I think that is where you come in, where Rebecca come in, where all of us come in. And that is to say, you know, I mean, if you if you take a look at my website, I have ads from the corporate structure. Some people would say that's hypocritical, and I say, well, why is that hypocritical? I'm using the funding that mo- that mm-hmm. all of that, that in the aggregate all of us produce to go ahead and do good. What you're doing is do good. And what is doing good? Education. I can tell you uh, from the different audiences that that I have, and I'm sure it is the same for the different audiences that you guys have. People, the letters that you get that say, wow, I didn't realize that. I really feel empowered. Now I am going to do something. The problem is that since our reach in the aggregate is not large, like, you know, you get on ABC. When (laughs) Come on, Ben. When you are on... MSNBC, you have millions of people watching you right away. But mm-hmm. when you are on, you know, uh, EgbertoWillies.com or Politics Done Right, you have a few thousand people that are going to see your podcast and these other things. But the way you increase the scale is through what I call geometric progression. Geometric progression mm-hmm. says if one person talks to five and teaches that five persons how to talk to five, if you take a look at how geometric progression works, you can reach the entire country, but everybody has to be on point and everybody has to be educated to how this stuff really works and not feel mm-hmm. defeated. I have one person on my, my uh, show all the time, but the rich people always win. And I'm like, because most of the people feel the way you do. Now let's mm. talk about how do we change that feeling? 
Mm. Yes. And 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 you say that, how do we change that feeling? We have to walk in that. Not only because we we we're so used to as a society built for us, we're so used to saying, okay, this is it for us. And right. we're just never gonna be rich. We're not supposed to be rich. Um, right. this is just our life. Um and you said something like you've been talking about our show and how you like it. Um, uh, and I appreciate that so much. That's an honor. Thank you so much. You come from a background uh, in a software company, 20 years in a software company, and you decided to flip it on its head and bring it over to, to, to progressive politics. So what led you to that avenue? Yeah. You know, I'm going to be extremely honest. First of all, um, the my website was making enough for me to be able to make. I mean, it, first of all, it's altruistic, yes, but it, you can't have altruism with a starving belly. So... <laughs> So I got, I was making enough from the website that I could make the transition. I turned my license over to somebody, the license for the products that I created to another good friend of mine. And then I started the, you know, this voice because I've always been active in at the University of Texas. I was in the South African Liberation Action Committee, the Afro-American Culture Committee, the Caribbean Central American Association and all these things. So I've always been active politically. When I went to work for corporate America, you know, I had to tamper that down and blog with a pseudonym. When I formed my own Mm. software company, of course, I had to blog with a pseudonym. But when my daughter went off to college, I could really be who I wanted to be. And many times I would sit down in dark and like, damn, somebody got to do something about that. Somebody has got to say something about that. Or when somebody says something on, on the TV that makes no sense, it's like, why isn't somebody talking about that? Right. And I remember sitting down in the dark once and saying, well, damn it. You're always talking about what somebody has to do. You do it. Mm-hmm. And since mm-hmm. I was a software guy and I understood computers, all that good stuff, I just created my own little one-person production company and started doing it. And when it came to doing things like, well, when they say something wrong on TV, who is there to refute it? Well, I started doing that. I hear yeah. Chuck Todd say something that I or something that should be asked. Like I didn't hear the mass mansion about uh, about uh, wage theft, so I did a blog with the video that says he should have asked that. You know, and and put it out there. Got I don't know, probably twenty, thirty thousand views on that. So I mean, it, it is, it is, um, it was. All of us have our core profession when we go to college, and then I I say the next thing we have is a passion and a reason. And now I'm doing my passion for a reason. Yes. <laughs> Politics done right. Yeah, <laughs> I feel that. Yeah. I felt. I, I, I felt that, man. Uh, yeah. Tell everyone how they can find your work and 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 watch your show and your podcast. Well, thank you for giving me that opportunity. Um, you can go to politicsdoneright.com, politicsdoneright.com to visit us. You can from you can also go to Twitter and subscribe to Egberto Willies. That's on the screen right now, or you can also uh, go to our YouTube channel, which is also Egberto Willies. So um. Uh, and by the way, if you go to EgbertoWillies.com, you can check out some of our um, our books as well. I, I just recently wrote a book uh, called It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Friends, Your Right-Wing mm. Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors. And the book, mm. the reason I wrote that book was specifically because um, uh, Rebecca asked earlier, you know, how do we actually change, right? And how yeah. do we get rid of the folks like Manchin and all these guys? We are, we are going to have to bring other people into the fold and whether whether they're progressives or not is is of least importance what's of most importance is how are they going to vote are they going to support the policies that support us all 
I, you know, I just absolutely love, um, I, I love your work. And I actually, I've followed your work for some years. Uh, but more, more importantly, just, you know, re- the way you say Rebecca, and it just, I, I've been struggling. I don't want to mess up your name over and over and over again. I feel like this, I feel like the, the, the country dude from Mississippi when I say Egberto, and then you just, like, you're, just you're just rolling those. those <laughs> I love that. Just, I love that, Rebecca. <laughs> say it, Rebecca. Yeah. Say, please say it, play, say it for me, Rebecca. Say it. Egberto. Egberto. There you go, Egberto. I love you, Rebecca. That was great. Rebecca. When I look at the name, that's what I see, you know? So, Ben kept saying, and I'm like, that's what I see. So, from Mississippi, we say Egberto. But actually, what I'm saying, I'm just going to say E. Hey, thanks, E, for coming on. We'd love to have you back anytime. We really appreciate the work. Man, it's my pleasure being, and what I want to tell you guys, thank you for what you all do. What you all do is extremely important. And, you know, I'm honored to be on your show. Oh, man, we appreciate that. Please call 713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738. And give whatever you can to support KPFT in the name of Politics and Right. But you know what? We have some special offers for you. I have three books as I see it. Class Warfare, The Only Resort to Right-Wing Doom for a $120 pledge. Remember, you never have to give this all at once. The second book, It's Worth How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors. Again, that is a contribution of $120. And the third book, How to Make America Utopia, Take Away the Economy from Those Who Rigged It. That's a pledge as well for $120. Get two of the books, that's $200. Get three of the books, $250. So you save in your pledge by getting all three books. Brothers and sisters listening right now, we do need you. We do need your support to keep this station doing what it does. Call 713-526-5738. Take one of the offers or just join us for whatever you can. 713-526-5738. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics and Right, and you know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out! Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Right.